What's so frustrating for me is that once you achieve any kind of level of success um, that I felt like I had achieved, that something would get easier. I think in the old days, someone would discover you in a New York play as an actor. And they would bring you to Hollywood or they'd go, you have talent. And then you can kind of like bump along and have this amazing career. I don't think it happens anymore. Uh, and if it happens, it's sparing because each project seems to be like you have to start over from you have to start over. A lot of people pivot at my age into teaching full time or uh, I don't know, uh, continue to write and direct. Um, and I am doing that to some extent, but it's extremely, I find it very frustrating. Uh, and because I need to still make money, like you can pivot as much as you want, but your pivot has to be involved with making some cash. And I'm trying to make my health insurance through my Which union. Which you always, so like that, we always do, like just the last I second. always do. Yeah. <laughs> I, at the last second, I kind of get, uh, they get the health insurance. Where it's like, we got it, yeah. we're tier one, we're tier one. You can get your like perimenopausal medicine for yeah yeah so now we can pay a lot for our quarter our, my our quarterly minimums you know like i can even pay more money for that but it's like it's always been about like trying to make my health insurance and then i make that and then i'll do everybody else's project where i don't make any money Welcome to the Unspeakable Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Daum. My guests this week are actor, writer, producers, Larry Clark and Fielding Edlow. They are the married couple behind the YouTube series, Bitter Homes and Gardens. It's a comedy doled out in short episodes about a married couple named Larry and Fielding. Now, this episode of the podcast is a bit of an experiment. As I've mentioned before, the podcast now has a YouTube channel called The Unspeakable Channel, and this is the home of The Unspeakeasy, which features informal video interviews with people who may or may not also be on the regular podcast. I recorded a video conversation with Fielding and Larry recently, which is up on the channel now, and what you're about to hear is the audio version of that conversation. Um, it's really fun in that it's a little lighter and more free-ranging than the average interview on this show. But I also think it touches on some themes that come up a lot around here, specifically the challenges of maintaining a creative career in middle age and making the professional pivot that I've talked about here before. Larry and Fielding both have solid industry careers going back a few decades now. Uh, Larry, who should not be confused with the director and photographer, Larry Clark, our Larry has an E on the end of his name, has had recurring roles on shows like Law and Order, where he played Detective Morris Lamott, The Secret Life of the American Teenager, The Bridge, the recent series Heels. He played a Fusco brother in the 2017 remake of Twin Peaks. He's also appeared in feature films like The Informant, Contagion, and The Laundromat. Um, one of my favorite things he does is makes videos mocking his serious actor persona, for instance, his James Lipton-inspired series, An Actor Prepares. Fielding's credits include BoJack Horseman, Get Shorty, and Behind the Candelabra. She's also a playwright and a comedian. So as impressive as all of this sounds, uh, Larry and Fielding's careers are pretty emblematic of the way working actors have had to shift gears while remaining in high gear, the kind of high gear uh, we associate with the nonstop hustle of 
early careers. So in this conversation, we talk about the tension between loving your work and being really frustrated with the direction your industry has gone in. And we also talk a lot about the 1990s, partly because, and I buried the lead here, Larry and I were actually roommates back then in New York City. Our other roommate was a struggling actor and comedian named Stephanie Courtney, who is now, and you might want to sit down for this, Flo from Progressive. That's right. We lived with Flo, the progressive insurance lady. Stephanie has made some appearances on Bitter Homes and Gardens, and we hear about those, uh, as well as reminisce about the old days when Larry and Stephanie worked as cater waiters, and I slept in the dining room of our grimy New York apartment that's now a co-op that we could never afford. On a technical note, uh, after spending the requisite 40 minutes trying to resolve uh, audio issues that come from having two guests on two tracks and, and also having a video interview, Fielding's sound quality isn't quite as good as Larry's. I suspect that's an inverse reflection of the power balance in their relationship, but thanks for bearing with it. Larry Clark and Fielding Edlow, I feel like I know you. We feel the same. <laughs> yes. Um, where to start? Where to start? Well, I think you should talk about the... F- how we know each other is we're old roommates. Should we just disclose that? Yeah. yeah I should know that. Yeah. That. We, should, we were old. We were, Larry and I were roommates and I'm trying to think what the year was. Was it like 1996? I don't, yeah, it was around there. I started reading from your book and I was like, wait a minute. Uh, I was like, am I going to show up here? I don't know. I, there was nothing interesting happened with me as being a roommate. So you didn't mention me. You mentioned a bunch of other a bunch of male roommates oh, that you had. We had one male roommate that we kicked out. Uh, because we didn't like the, the his furniture, and he put this really hideous carpet in his room. And I, as any as people who know my work know, I have issues with carpet, and it was just so offensive because this was a pre-war apartment with original oh, yeah. wood floors. Someone had worse furniture a- than Larry because when I started dating him, he uh, his I whole bedroom furniture. was from Staples. Like all of his furniture was literally from Staples, and he wouldn't. It, Larry had such a small room that he could barely fit any furniture in there. Yeah, I think I had a desk and a bunch of and 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 a chair and a bunch of clothes, and I was just happy that you guys didn't look into my room too often because it was packed with clothes. I mean, I was I was a guy guy. I'm pretty much. A- also, you had photos of yourself playing Adolf Hitler. I was just going to say his Hitler paraphernalia, like this weird <laughs> esoteric World War II paraphernalia that I had to have sex and look at a picture of Hitler next to his bed. But I was playing that role. You didn't see me play Hitler. I was playing it down the road. I mean, I, that was what I was. Why I was would Megan go with you. watch you at that time? What if our Orthodox Jewish landlord came in? Yeah. To, yeah. To look. Well, you know what? See, see I how was things studying are going. Hitler uh, uh, to be in this play called Good. It was a musical, and I played like a funny Hitler, and uh, I was studying him uh, <laughs> for his uh, movements, how he talked, because I had to do this speech in the square as Hitler. And um, but I started studying him, studying him, and then I had to this day one of the worst nightmares of my life. Like I woke up screaming. And I felt like I was like studied, started studying too much evil. You know what I mean? Like I also was reading like the Third Reich, and I was reading all this stuff. And I started like, 
And uh, it completely flipped me out. And I stopped. I stopped immediately and kind of became like, I kind of became like a clownish Hitler. I stopped trying to like get into like what he was. And, Funny uh, Hitler sounds like the biggest oxymoron I've ever heard. And I can't believe. Well, he was a clown, a clownish figure in this play. <laughs> but anyway. Okay. Um, is this a particular school of acting that has you do all this reading? It's not, is it method acting? Not really. Well, it's not really method. I guess I was playing around with a method type of thing. I wanted to learn more about well, everything about him. Uh, and I also wanted to Because if it was method, you'd have to be Hitler all the time. Well, you'd no, have to no, go around as Hitler right. all the you time. You'd have to be right? Daniel Day-Lewis in my left foot or whatever the fuck. Larry doesn't read, by the way. I love you're giving off this lofty, erudite impression that you read. You can't even get through a BuzzFeed article. He doesn't read. Well, he obviously read. He read uh, Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Thank not, you. Not well, the no, he was the original. He, I was yeah. reading Unspeakable, which was my favorite oh, book of all time. Go, and Larry go back looked to me and goes, "Yes." And it was. I reread it. It's like the most. Your essay on your mom is like the most important thing that's ever been written on mothers. Like it seared into my soul. Yeah, so brilliant. And Larry goes, "You know, I was her roommate." And that literally bought me another three years of marriage to my husband. The fact that he was your roommate, I because you're a rock star, and I was like, oh my god! Well, no, roommate? excuse me, excuse me. The rock star, we, we know who the rock star roommate yes. is. Now. The progressive oh, girl. Can we oh. just let's just let's <laughs> just let's just let's just get out in front of this? Yeah. Are we allowed to yeah, say? Yeah, Flo. Say it. Flo, Do Flo it. was our Do roommate. It. Flo. I think Flo from Progressive was our roommate. <laughs> yeah. And we're not allowed to have Flo. And she was Larry's friend. On. We're not allowed to have her on because Progressive is like, you can't do anything. And they keep paying her well, a lot you know of money. What? I would so, I would take that deal. <laughs> We'd all take that cut. Oh my god, I'd be the face of, you know, like skinny cow for that. I would yeah. I was at the uh, audition. Uh, this, I, mean, uh, I was at the audition when she booked. I think she had just booked it because I was like went to the second progressive audition that she was in. Oh really? Yeah, I just remember being in the parking lot and I was like, I just had this progressive. She's like, Oh yeah, I'm doing that. And I just remember uh, being like, Wow, great booking, way to go, staff. You know, not knowing that she would like you were this like patrician overarching patriarch. So this like, would have been like what two thousand five or yeah, something. Yeah, that was a, I mean, a hugely long time ago. And I just remember going, "Way to go, Steph! That's a great booking." You know, not knowing that it would change her life. You know, and well, change advertising, and I mean, all these things that have happened because of her becoming that character. It just doesn't happen. You know, the last the last time I it know. happened it was Mr. Whipple. I think I even mentioned that to her. Said, I know. I was I'm trying like, to think like what the, the next, closest Mr. Whipple. analog would be. You know, Charmin. Right. You know, I mean, but that's... Are you guys going to have a reunion? reunion? I feel like you should have a reunion. We've talked about it. Oh, you mean like in real life? Yeah. I, I mean, we could probably charge admission, though, if just to have like a hangout with her and us. Actually, yeah. Why I mean, not monetize the reunion? <laughs> every, everything has to be monetized. Every, every get-together, every social event. But... We did have uh, no, her so on. We had her on our. Um, I don't know if you saw our thing. In her home, she played our couples therapist, and she, she her name was Dr. Sheila Faff. And she, uh, how did I miss this? I'll send I thought it I to you. Everyone, we'll send she it had to you. this brilliant thing where she was widowed. She she was widowed eight times. Like she went through eight husbands. They all died, and she kept saying Larry could die. He could die, and I was like, he's unwell. Here's a brief scene featuring Stephanie Courtney. There's a part of me right now that wants to tell you that I don't even want to be married, if I can say this, because I feel like I should be dedicating my life to public service. I've had a lot of 
partners who passed away. They called me the black widow of the marriage counseling profession. But I mean, your husbands have died. A lot of coincidences. Look, death is a possibility. If you're not in a happy marriage, someone can trip. Someone can drink white oleander. Uh, Someone can take a fistful of melatonin the way he did last night. He went on a melatonin bender last night, which is why he's barely awake. And he's like, looks like an inert monk. He goes on these melatonin benders. And I looked at him in the morning just now. And I thought it was like a passed out homeless guy. Uh, what does the melatonin give you that you're not getting in your relationship, Larry? Sleep. Oh. I can cuddle with you. I love cuddling with you. You have a toxic energy. When I touch you in bed, it wakes me up. But we had to okay it. Like, she had to dress up in a, she didn't look anything like herself. And, and we had to, like, not, I don't know. Didn't we have to okay everything we were going to improvise with her or something? I'm nervous bringing it up right now. I I know, I know. I don't want to get, although it would be good, it would be good publicity for this podcast if it it got literally canceled or if I'm sued (laughs) by progressive. Oh God, progressive comes after you. uh, I know. Well, so Stephanie is my most successful friend by, by a, a long shot. But she was also at one time my least successful friend. I think, oh. Because did we have like an intervention? She was, I, I'm just going to say this because I would say this if she were here. She was babysitting. She was working <laughs> at, she was doing like children's theater okay. out of a van Ooh, or something oh, like that. Yes. That's pretty, that's pretty dark. But I'll say, I mean, she was really living. I mean, she didn't have a lot of money, and she, I just remember coming in and on rollerblades from comedy. Like, I just like I was like, "You're still doing the comedy thing," and and I'm I was like forced to cater and do anything I could. To she make catered me. all the time. She did you oh, cater right. together? I catered with her. Yeah, I catered of course. With her. That's yes. That's how I met her. What am I saying? <laughs> Oh my uh, God. But after I thought you were in a Hitler play together. Yeah, that no, was catering. No, she okay. didn't do the Hitler play. Uh, right. But she, she and her sister, I worked with for years in catering. That's how I wound up being his roommate. But then I don't think she was catering. She was barely making any money, and she was doing the stand up every night and in improv. New York. And I, in New York yeah. or L.A. In New York. In New yeah. York. And then she became and a groundling. I feel like. In LA. When she went to LA. In New York, it was just like she wasn't making any money, but she would not give up. I remember her just be like, No, I'm gonna go out. And I, I hated stand up at that time. I was like, Oh my God. Like you like, what are you getting in return for this? Like nothing. Like, you know, you're not making any money. You gotta make cash, you know. Well, I remember the first time she did stand up. So when I say we were trying to tell her to quit the business. It was before she did stand up. She was doing this children's theater, these like on these tiny stages, like, and, uh, and then I remember she said, I'm going to do stand up, and it was some club and she had to bring a certain amount of friends or whatever. And she killed, she was so fantastic. It was like a light went off. So suddenly like she, she was doing it so incredibly well. And people were like, that's the best first time set I've ever seen in my life. I remember she had a segue bell. She didn't know how to like make the transitions between the jokes. So she just rang a bell every time she was going to move brilliant. on to the next joke. That's brilliant. It was a segue bell. I know. I know someone so, with a symbol. Of course she crushed it the, the first time. Yeah. You know, no, she was she fantastic. And then she, yeah. and then she was, she was off to the races. Wow. Uh, yeah. And she went out to LA to be a groundling. But it's um, like the story yeah. you I want to hear. It's such a wonderful story. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I saw her a couple times in the groundlings out here. 
And I was thinking about doing, but then the, but the, the, the classes they had, they were like really tough. And I remember I met the uh, teacher that ran it. And I mean, that's a rough school. Like they really are. I had a mean teacher. It's like boot camp. It's I like comedy boot well, camp. And she teaches it now, doesn't she? <laughs> I think she's, she's, she's taught groundlings. She must. She must. I can't imagine but her being harsh. She saved my life. (laughs) Listen, Stephanie saved my life with that apartment. I needed an apartment. And all of a sudden you guys came out of nowhere. I was like, finally, I got an apartment. Like I I didn't have a place to live. I don't know what I was doing. I remember I was looking at SROs. I was going to go to an SRO. Your room was about the size of that. So well, it, it, I, it, it was like living was. As, as a king. I was like living as a king on 100th Street in, in West End. Come on. Megan, did uh, you find him disgusting? Be honest. Were you like, no, this it is was, a pretty it disgusting was so fun. man? No, no, because the guy we had stop? had before, the guy we had before was really disgusting with the carpet. Okay, and, okay. But I'll, you know how, how Stephanie came to me? So we, I had that apartment right out of college. It, was, it always had to have three people in it. Um, I live, I had the converted dining room. We would put up a sign on telephone poles all over the neighborhood, literally when we needed a new roommate, when somebody was moving out and that's how we it's found so, her. It sounds so they little house on the prairie now, like yes. no, you know, face my space or like even it's, it's, li- it's little house, uh, in Morningside Heights. <laughs> A tree grows in, in Brooklyn in, in, in 1996. I, yeah, so no, sweet. she had to call from a pay pay phone and say, "Oh, I saw your sign on the telephone pole, and I'm down the street. And can I come I'm look?" I'm glad at Larry place? wasn't a killer. I mean, it's the amount of trust you put on a telephone pole. I listen. I well, think no, it's no, amazing. But then Stephanie, that's how we got Stephanie, oh, right, and then right. she brought Larry. She referred Larry. She, okay, she brought me in, but Larry still, was a referral. I remember. Everybody was so respectful of everybody's space that we didn't like knock. I don't think I ever knocked on anybody's door. Oh, no. I don't think I, I really? ever did. No. I, I've well, never been like, hey, your mail's to. here. Or, was there ever like no, taco every, every, night? Taco night where we can all just talk no, about our week? I don't the think we ever we ate together. out knocked on doors all the time Ew. now that you mention it. Ew. I was. I knew everyone really needed their privacy. I remember that. Just like everyone really needed their privacy, and I was like, "I'm going to respect that." And uh, it was. Um, we didn't hang out with each other. We didn't go out and have dinners together. No, we didn't um, go out. Which is the perfect roommate. Had, That's actually the perfect roommate sitch. It was always like, like uh, just seeing each other and having conversations in the living room. I guess. Exactly. I just remember well, that, that. That's hanging out because I feel like I remember you and Stephanie had some bit where you were making fun of uh, James Lip, Lip, Lipman, Lip, Lipton <sighs> on the actor studio, yeah. Lipton, James yeah. Lipton on the actor studio interviewing Polly Shore. That was okay, the Yes. Okay. A that's a good bit. Yeah. Or Carrot Top, maybe it was. I <laughs> or don't Carrot remember. Top. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was very memorable to me. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, it saved, it saved my life, that room. And then she saved it again. Because then I, I moved on 100 and, uh, 112th Street in her place that she got this rent-controlled apartment. And I went from there to that place. And I stayed in her house when she went out to L.A. And I lived with oh. all Stephanie's furniture. And I took care of Billy the cat. I took care of Billy the cat for six months. Oh, that's I forgot about that. I forgot yeah. that place on 112th. That's right. That tiny, tiny place. Tiny, tiny, but it saved that saved my life too, and it was an amazing place. That was the last place I stayed in New York. Um, but and then I almost she gave me Billy the cat, and then the day she came six months later back from L.A. with a U-Haul, 
to pick up all her stuff and left me with no furniture. I think I had like nothing. I think I slept on a wood floor that night. But um, but I actually kind of really got into this cat. I love Billy the cat. And I'll never forget it. The cat that morning was going crazy. He was a young cat. And, and it was like 5 a.m. And he hit the windowsill and knocked out the fan. And I, I remember being half asleep and staring at him. And he's on top of the fan. The fan started sliding out. And we were on the fifth floor. All right. And the, it started falling out. And I saw the cat. And I'm half asleep. Stephanie's cat was going out the window. And, half, and then I just went, boom. I reached down and I grabbed this paw and caught, caught the cat. I almost killed them the morning she, she was coming to pick him up. Did you tell I told him? Her. I said, I almost killed your cat today. That was the morning she was coming for him? Maybe that he was knew. The and he he wanted to get away from her. Like a, it was I like think one he of those did. He was too excited. To stay with like you. And he was going crazy. And he was hitting everything. And he opened the window and kind of slid out with the fan. I caught him. And then, but wow. he lived, and he, he lived a great a life time. out here. Yes, I he met did. Billy the cat out here when I moved out here, and we had a reunion. Yeah. Well, anyway, you know what? Oh my God. Are we putting your viewers? You're the hero of the story there. No, you know, I, don't know this, I, I always reminisce about the 90s. If only, you know, and, and, here, and look, here we are now doing our own podcasting, having sitcoms on YouTube. How did we get here to this place? <laughs> It's Your a very show good is question. Very funny. It's very. I think it's hilarious and uh, very well done on every level. Why is it on YouTube? You turned good down question. HBO and uh, Netflix. That's I'm like the nicest just, thing anyone said to us you, in six months. That was like you the guys. nicest thing. Um, we we're almost FX almost made it. And we almost we went to FX. Hey, Larry, can I take this? Do you mind, uh, Mister Five Cups of Coffee, coming down from a melatonin bender? Um, so we, we've been in different stages of development. We were almost of FX, too similar to You're the Worst. Then we kind of took our power back and we're like, let's go back to the like grassroots renegade, just like run and gun web series. And then the goal is to sell it. We hope to sell it. We have a little fishing lines in the estuaries. Oh, oh still. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, this yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. will do that for you. You're, it's you're done and done. I know That's it will. No, the unspeakable yeah. podcast has sold many a streamer. Yeah. Well, what we have learned, we worked with three different producers to go from the first season, you know, and to get a second season. We worked with three different producers. And, you know, I have a a different opinion as far as my wife, as far as what that was about or what that how that affected us. Well, essentially, it's like most things in Hollywood, they'll take something that's successful or funny and then they just write the funny out of it or they just produce the funny out of it or they wanted to sanitize it or like and and i got also in my own head a little bit of an ego like yes of course it's half an hour i can write half an hour because i took it as like an affront like almost misogynisty when people are like you're good with eight minutes you're good with this web series and so i would be so insulted but the truth is i do think it's actually might be best eight to 12 minutes yeah. like i don't think you can take us yeah. longer than that and i, I had to we are get so annoying be like we are no they're so right annoying. they're right we're so irritating yes. and that yeah, anything it's funny because it doesn't feel like eight off. minutes it feels like 30 minutes but that's great yeah, i true. think that means we're might be doing our job if that's <laughs> yeah we might okay know. but what is or the show about just for our okay so for our any if there's anybody out there who has not seen the show uh what is it about what's the what's the conceit it's called bitter homes and gardens you're a real life married couple, we should say. For today. I would say we're two in let me take this there. 
We're two very insecure, broken, needy people in a somewhat healthy in a in a somewhat healthy relationship. Or you could say if the Macbeths stops pursuing murder and just pursued vain podcasting projects and tried to make it. It's like these desperately aspiring needy people trying to like claw their way to the middle. And it's like, we're competitive. (laughs) We're so competitive with each other, which is so crazy because there's this 10 years older than me. Thank you. Balding middle-aged character actor. But, and that's happened in my life. I'd be competitive with him. And he's like, why are you competing with me? Exactly. She does compete with me all the time. But you know, the thing is, is we would be in the, we argue a lot. That's that's just the nature of our relationship. But we would catch ourselves in the middle of an argument and we'd be like, wow, people would not believe how we argue with each other. Like, it's funny. Uh, And it's also vicious, but funny. And so we, in a way, started uh, this idea came from let's start writing down. So a lot of the arguments from the very first episode are actually uh, recreations of actual arguments that we've had. I mean, I do have an imagination. I mean, you, I, I love, there's something when your book, The Problem, I think it was a problem, that's The Problem with Everything, which I love so much. And you were talking yeah, it was, about Yeah, it was own. supposed to be called Woke Me When It's Over, but that got vetoed. It's both, yeah. yeah. But it's such an incredible book. But I remember, if it's okay, I bring this up when you're talking about your husband and just you were missing the conversations and like, oh, yeah. I think you had this yes. great image too of like, like the platelets of the conversation. Like it was like this, currency that you had. It was just really amazing image. And I was like, I don't even know that I have great conversations with my husband. I think that like we have this thing where I know I can say anything in front of him. And he says anything in front of me, we're vaguely attracted to each other and somehow it still That's huge. (laughs) You're in the you're in the ninety ninth percentile of of happy couples. Yeah. Um maybe I mean so uh I guess okay so your, um, I need to be like a little bit serious. So yes. your fielding, what is, what is your background? I mean, I know that Larry was in the catering business uh, <laughs> and the cat, yes. cat sitting business, but yes. what about you? Uh, the soundbite of my background is I grew up in New York city, went to UPenn, had no idea what the fuck I was going to do and ended up in the neighborhood playhouse to be an actress. And then I somehow just, you know, ended up writing I had a acting teacher who was like, write a truthful monologue. And I got sober and I wrote 20 because I had so much to say, which became my one woman show and did a lot of improv. But it's mostly the writing is what kind of, I feel like started opening the doors. And my standup was horrible in my 20s. I mean, I had the opposite of Stephanie. I mean, it was like, she needs a personality colonic and an exorcism and get her the fuck off the stage. But, um, yeah, you've been swimming upstream ever since you started. She's just swimming upstream in the, the currents this way. That's a, not a nice image. I mean, well, I'm it's true. Coupled, I mean, are you, <laughs> I'm an undiscovered. But are you, tool. are you an actor? Because so Larry, I feel like I see like you, you've played a lot of cops. Like, let's put it this way. You're, 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 First of all, you're a great actor. I don't mean to have an earnest moment, but you're a really fantastic actor. And so it's super extra funny when you make fun of serious actors. He plays mostly de- detectives and molesters, to be honest. Oh, really? Molest- I've seen the, a lot of the a lot of the cops, but yeah, okay. I've, I've actually played a molesting cop, which is interesting. Oh, yeah. He plays a on lot medium. of creepy, creepy on, on media on. On Medium, I did a I did a cop that was so creepy they cut my scene uh, because they said the creep factor was too much. It was too much for their viewers. 
you told me That's in your auditions you you do a creepy molesting audition and there's yes. a hush uh, well, there's a hush in the room and they're like wow that yeah. was really creepy. Well, I, I booked medium Mark Sachs is a he was a he's famous for like casting friends, you know, he's a huge casting director and he used to like New York actors, so he would bring me in out here. And he brought me in for this molesting horrible just a, just one of the it was based on a you know how they do this real life crime stuff. I think this guy was a cop that buried um, had a had a room under his yard and and kept young girls under his in his yard like uh, something like that like it was based on a real thing and uh, so they're like and, and he uh, they're showing the scene and so anyway my way to approach it I was waiting outside I was going you know how I'm going to do this I said uh, I'm just going to do it like I'm not a creep. That's the way I played it because I knew everybody else was going to be like, "Hey, little girl," or whatever. Right. They would all kind of like counter, have like a counterintuitive. You got to play it have real. like a twist. Like Hitler well, comes on to conquer Europe, not be a bad guy. I just played it <laughs> super straight. I just played it like a normal scene, and I was like, "Hey, how you doing? Good, good to see you." Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna you know take you back home, whatever. We're gonna hang out. And anyway, after after it was over, they all went. That's really creepy. And I was like, I, inside, I'm like, I didn't do anything at all. But okay. And they gave and me the I part. Have to, I so. have to sleep next to that every night. But Megan was trying to have an earnest moment with yeah, you. Yeah, so what kind, of acting, what kind of acting have you done, Fielding? So, <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny. It's mostly, it, it has morphed into like, I'm a stand-up and a writer. But then, I mean, I'm such a bad auditioner. I just admitted this to my husband. I was like, I've never, I've never booked anything from an audition. It's always been like, oh, She's you can bad. play the like, you know, bisexual best friend with the problem number four, you know, on the Mindy project. Oh, that's but just because you have glasses. Is that it? Okay. Yeah. The glasses is, that's going to be like the, the lesbian, the lesbian sidekick. I, I was gay for a month, by the way. So I just, I Oh really? Yes. In college or after? No, that? after. So I loved your take on so it. Too. You, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was, I was late to that. I was late to that. Yeah, I was, I was 20. Yeah. I was, was like, I was grad school. I was like, I've had so many problems with men. Maybe this is, and the truth is it was like the same amount so of problems. Worse. Worse. So, worse. Oh my God. No, women are oh, the worst. The worst, worst leaving needy messages on my Panasonic answering machine. I need you. Ew. I don't need and you. And it's like, you realize what you've been doing to men for the last, yes. you know, however many decades. Yes. I don't need it's like, a, like it's, it's more taste of your own medicine. The Marquita sod and tell me she's like obsessed with me. And wow, I don't know where that came from. But so acting, I've done some acting and mostly it was theater. Like I did my one woman show, Coke Free Jap, which I brought to LA and I did like the Mike O'Malley plays. So I love theater. I love, I mean, like, I want to do theater. Like that would be a little vision boardy thing for me. It's like, I see it. See That's how we met. Fielding yeah. and I met doing doing these plays. We did Strindberg's she, Miss Julie because I'm such a oh know, go getter in Hollywood. Mount a Strindberg <laughs> play to really make your mark. Even my publicist was like, I don't know how to spin this, but it's where I yeah. met Larry. She was she produced it. She put it in the middle of Hollywood. We had a live orchestra. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that played in between. We had full outfits, the whole deal. And I remember thinking, this woman's crazy. In the middle of Hollywood in the summer, like, we're doing Miss Julie? <laughs> yeah, nuts. we're doing Miss Julie. And, and Larry, and talk about being mean. Larry would pull, pull me backstage and he'd be like, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. It's like, I can go out there and jerk off or we can come together and have sex. And I was like, 
I okay. Wow, it worked. He's like, well, no, you know what? It's better than a lesbian, said, right? Yeah. Said, well, Larry is a dainty ballerina, a woman. Well, is, but it's straight. It's, it's straightforward. It have to. I, I we had to yeah. do something different every night, and I was like, "Come on, we got to do this for real. If they're going to make this stupid play work, we got to make it seem like you know I'm a predator and and you're my prey. Well, Let's go." Yeah, he would give me a knife to jump in the river and kill myself at the end of the play. But I will say, and this is very hard for me to admit and be vulnerable, I am a much different kind of grounded, better actress because of my husband and acting with him and kind of talking with him and just being real. Are you hard? So Are you hard right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, so I'm gonna catalog that. I'm gonna catalog. I'm gonna put that in Larry, there. Larry, what are you better? What are you better at because of fielding? Mm. How does she make you a better man? Ah, <sighs> uh, you can get back to me. I'll, 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 oh my god, I okay, can name a billion question. things. Are you kidding me? I, I she's. I listen. I'm not great at the living part. She's a very good at living, and <laughs> uh, she's just you know listen. When I kind of fell in love with her, when we were stuck in a blizzard in an airport and, 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 and they were shutting the airport down and there was one bus to leave. And uh, this is literally right before I asked her to marry me. The, they were shutting it down. There were people pushing babies out of the way and old people to get on the last shuttle in Denver to get it. You know. And I was like – and I went – I saw that happening. I went, you know what? I'd rather freeze in the airport. Then get on that shuttle and and push these people away, and and Fielding went screw that we're getting on that shuttle boom and she kind of like got us on, and it was only because of her we got on. And I went you know what she's got hutzpah she's got something I would like to kind of go through life with this woman. Are you, is that an anti-Semitic remark? <laughs> oh, Hitler fully turned him into an anti-Semite. He was supposed to convert the first couple of months of our marriage, and now he's like an anti-Semite. I'm not an anti-Semite. Listen, my daughter's half yeah, Jewish. Yeah, our daughter's Jewish. No, I well, think fully, she's actually Jewish, right? Because her mother's Thank you, Jewish, man. Yeah, so, she's 100% right. well, Jewish. Genetically, She'll be bought mitzvah. Larry has hate love with the Jews. I mean, I think that he's hate I don't think it's hate. Yeah. I got no hate. I love the Jews. Love but the anyway, Jews. Yeah. How, okay, so you pushed a bunch of people off the bus and he <laughs> fell in love with that. That's that's very romantic. I, 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 thought, I wish I had more of that moxie when it came to my work. Certain times it just kicks in. He has a certain in, moxie like, in life. And I, I, we've never had a dull moment in a weird way. And I can't quite describe what that is, but it's never dull. It's always like another day. And it's incredibly like I've never been through I've never hung out with anyone like my I mean, we've wife. had re- re- absolute revulsion. And just like some enmity and I wanted their pillow asphyxiation. It's like, I have this thing where it's like our marriage is just like long-term creative gaslighting, but somehow like, you know. But long-term, that's good. That's good that you would even say that. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. So, it's true. So, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's a conundrum. I think we're a conundrum and we are a bitter household at times. Uh, we're also sober. If we weren't sober, I don't think we there would be no have bitter homes. If I could have a Cure Royale or Larry could have a flaming 151 shot, there would be no bitter homes. We're just pent up, mm. like oh. weird, sober, anxious oh. people. Probably. Yeah, okay. can't come down. You know, that there's no way to relax. HBO, that's not our HBO pitch, by the way. That's just our reality. <laughs> Why? Now, you do have a daughter in real life, but on the show, you're childless couple. Yes. Correct. Yes. Why, why, childless. why is that choice? 
Why did you make that choice? I, I, you know, I don't nobody know wants to work I with find, kids. I find it kind of boring shows with kids. I don't give a shit about the kid, except if you're like Party of Five or I liked how everybody loves Raymond. They were shunted in the background, but I feel like God willing, if this goes, like we'll sprinkle in. I had this idea for the end of the second season where I get pregnant and they tell me it's quintuplets and I have to, I decide I have to kill three of them or four of them. And they were like, wait, Oh, quintuplets. Yeah. Yeah. And I, have, right. and I okay. choose the ones to like do away with. No, she right? chooses. It's like Sophie's That's- choice. Prenatal. Yes, yes, prenatal yeah. Sophie's choice. Here's another clip from bitter homes and gardens. This one featuring David Keckner. Uh, I'm guessing. Yeah. DNR. What is, what's DNR? Yes, you get it. No, what is DNR? Exactly. Do not resuscitate. 100%. No, DR. What? DR. Do, do resuscitate. Nobody wants that. DR. Really? Yes. Okay. We'll talk about that. DR. Let's table it. I'd like to make a request. Yes. Um, I'd like to leave an ethical will. I'd like my future offspring just to adhere to a certain moral code. What are you talking about? Are you kidding? Future offspring? You're barren. And you're not even a good person. Okay. Well. <laughs> All right. Hello, everyone. This is Mike. And this is Gibby. And we're the hosts of the True Crime All the Time Unsolved podcast. If you haven't already, we'd love to invite you to come check us out. Starting in January of 2017, we've amassed over 230 episodes of some of the most intriguing unsolved cases in true crime history. We cover some of the very big unsolved cases, but we also like to cover some of the lesser known cases, some that you may have never heard of. We dive into the details. We talk about the victims, their life, the circumstances around their disappearance or murder and we cover the potential suspects and persons of interest. We try to give you all the known facts you need to satisfy your amateur detective. We like to think that we don't take ourselves all that seriously, but we take true crime very seriously. You can listen to True Crime All the Time Unsolved now on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know you want to. I think it's pretty obvious if you start looking at the shows that are going up right now what's being pitched and being what's being accepted um and there's obviously a shift uh that's going on uh so i mean i don't know i've never i mean i i was just watching like i was watching so i was watching the other night first of all i've been kind of phased out of every show i don't I, i i can't as a as a whatever I've become, which is a um, you're coming off of a recurring what, what, what on a star I? series, so I know you're a disgruntled okay. white actor. The only reason, are- okay, the reason I got that recurring is because my buddy's the showrunner. Okay, wait, what's the show? It. It's Heels. I have I heard it's it called Heels, Heels. On Stars. It's a wrestling show. I, I should have pulled your your IMDb no. up before we had this conversation. No, I, I'm I'm recurring on that, and also recurring on um, uh, For All Mankind on Apple. Um, I haven't like heard a, of that. <laughs> I it's haven't a, heard it either. It's, a, it's a fictional history about the landing of uh, Mars. Uh, it's fictional history, and it's Apple. That's it's Apple fiction. TV, you know. Oh, sorry. Oh. They redo the the yeah the they do redo history. There's a verisimilitude. I, I, I think it's I, real. I, don't know. I mean, it's just one okay. of these things. Yeah. Do, you anyway, play, do you play a cop? <laughs> I, no, I play no. I play a, a pundit like Bill O'Reilly. I play a news pundit. Oh, oh. Yeah, I'm not getting cast as a cop anymore. I'm way too white 
to be and media. I don't know what I am. I'm just cops are all white. All cops no, are white. I thought they were all racist and white. No, no, no. Look on TV now. No, everybody is not white. There's no well, white. Well, everybody's not white who can possibly not be white. Like that's the this is how racist it is because they still have like the main white person, but then every single other person is not white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're yeah. just making was, up for right. it. I was right. watching and listen. God bless Dick Wolf because he helped me get a career. I was on Law and Order for two seasons. He helped me out, but what a bunch of mediocre crap he makes! I cannot believe. Oh my god! I mean. It's- I cannot believe his shows. They are unwatchable. The way he casts, what he's made a living on, and he did a switch during Law and Order because he started off kind of edgy, and then all of a sudden, I think it happened when he put Benjamin Bratt, I think, also on Law and Order. All of a sudden, he started getting sexy with everybody. He started, you know, started bringing the sexual element into casting the prosecutor and uh, you know whoever they it started getting the women started getting hotter and they had to be models, and he's taken that that paradigm and he's put it on all his shows and there's just there's there's it's you you can't i can't watch these things you these are model actors you also have lingering resentments you feel like you were let go from your big law and order gig and like everyone gets sexy and isles it's like gorgeous sheriffs with a scythe like everything is everyone's gorgeous arthur penn he used to be one of my favorite directors and he did he fired me from law and order for no freaking reason. I don't know why, but I was a really good third wheel on that show. Larry would but bring anyway. the fingerprint I report. No, I He's know. a fingerprint report. <laughs> and they used to, they used to film th- those episodes, those episodes all over our old neighborhood when we lived yes. with Stephanie. It was known as being gritty They're and real life. Using the apartment. Yes. It used to be great casting. And then all of a sudden he switched over and made everything sexy. Now listen, uh, uh, that is obviously worked for him. He lives up in Santa Barbara or wherever the hell he lives and lives in a, a billion dollar mansion and he's extremely successful. But as, as an actor, it's like, I can't look at anything on TV. I mean, I will audition for those shows, obviously, you know, and I'll play the crazy guest star or a stupid lawyer or something, but these aren't shows that are, you know, I, I can't watch network TV. I haven't been able to watch it for a long time, but but there's nothing on it. These are soap operas, basically. They're just soaps with – and the interesting thing about edgy and biracial casting is still this. They don't cast fat people. They don't they, – no one's fat and everyone's good looking. Everyone is gorgeous. I don't care what race you are, but you have to be gorgeous to be on TV. More, more so than in the past, though? Oh, God, yes. I don't oh, know yeah. about that. I think they're actually putting more – different like different kinds of bodies on i think there is some kind of shift and acknowledgement to that oh come on where starstruck did you see starstruck megan it's just this soft digging she's kind of like lena dunham but well i love shrill i love shrill actually shrill's wonderful and starstruck beautiful brilliant actress new zealander who fucks this guy, a superstar on a one night stand. And then he just falls for her. And the whole thing is she's like kind of, but yeah, that's I, no, that's that honey. You can't just pull that. That I can pull that. that. Is I can pull that. The norm. I can pull. That. You can say that because it makes you look good. Cause you, but it's trying, that show's trying to make a point. A cool, that show is right. Very, right that's right. not the norm. I that think, is not the norm. Right. No, you got to be great looking. Megan, did you ever want to be an actress? Cause you know, I think you have the greatest, greatest voice of any audiobook. 
narrate. Uh, well, I should. I can't. Thank you. So you're saying I should be a voice actor? No, no. I'm you're saying, saying do I, what I you're doing. You're saying exactly. I could do, I'm not hot enough no. to be a regular actress. No, Is that what you're saying? I, my first question was, did you ever act? No, you're. I act, yes, I, I acted in high school. Yes, I did. And really? in college, I. Uh, well, I was in the Mouse Trap. <laughs> No, not voice actors um, at all. That who were is you? not. That no, no, no. I'm not a very. I'm not a very good. I'm not a. No, I'm not a very good actor. I'm Although I did trap. write. I wrote and directed a play in college, and had and I had a co-director who's now a very successful pr- director producer in Hollywood. So uh, he basically uh, his name is Eddie Schmidt. He uh, he does a lot of unscripted stuff, and he's got a his own thing at Universal now, and. Anyway, I guess you direct. I think we should just gossip about it with everybody we know. Of something like you know. Oh no, I can't because yeah. I don't like telling people what to do. Oh, really? But no, I'm always. You know what the thing is? I always. Uh, you know, every once in a while, I'll get it in my head that I, I have a lot of TV ideas, but then they go, "Why don't you just go and write a book about it?" They just want right, um, right. IP. Right. It's really hard to pitch. Yeah. So I might as well just go, and write like a short story, and then be like, here. Right. But I don't, I hate exactly. stories. So right. anyway, but so, but okay. But this is, you know, one of the things that I talk about on this podcast lately is this idea of, of the professional pivot. So, you know, I have had to go from relying on big institutions, publishers, you know, university gigs, you know, being paid in the traditional way. I have had to go from that to like completely recalibrating this and being on my own uh, for a lot of reasons. Some of them, because I'm not, doing the kind of material that people are always comfortable with, even though it's ridiculous because that's, this is the only material audiences are interested in. But how does this affect you? Like, where did you imagine yourselves 20 years ago versus where, where, where things are just well, in terms of the business? I have to say that what, what's so frustrating for me is that once you achieve any kind of level of success um, that I felt like I had achieved that, something would get easier um, that people would be like, Oh, he's a pretty good actor. He's worked with, I don't know. Uh, he's worked with Steven Soderbergh and you're like, Oh, he made a Steven Soderbergh movie. Um, he's really good. Let's bring you're him in, in on you're this in contagion. Let's this, you were in contagion. Is that what you're referring to? I was in the informant contagion. Okay. He's and about the to laundromat. Meryl Streep's name in the laundromat too. Just strap in. I worked with Meryl, Meryl Streep. Name I drop. <laughs> I lived in Meryl Streep's room in college. Oh, I lived in really? Meryl Streep's room. Well, I yeah, that, well, with her. They, every room was Meryl Streep's room. Was this Vassar college, or Smith? Yes, yes, Vassar, Vassar. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm not anyway, being a good host. I, okay, you worked with Meryl Streep. You, yeah, okay, I worked with yes. her a couple years ago, and I was like, this is kind of a career highlight, you know? I'm sitting in a the room. There's Steven. There's Meryl. We're shooting. I got four scenes. Uh, I, you know, the, the film comes out, you know, uh, it's on Netflix. Uh, it's called The Laundromat. And uh, like crickets. I mean, nothing happens. But it, not just that. I've had various other, like, you know, I, I did uh, Twin Peaks with David Lynch. And uh, it was in four episodes of that. And, You're not answering the question. You can talk about your crickets. pivot. Is he started teaching. What I'm no, no, saying, he's getting there. He's, I think he's getting there. Well, yeah. I'm saying is that what's frustrating about the business is that is that no one, I don't know if anyone really, I think in the old days, someone would discover you in a New York play as an actor and they would bring you to Hollywood or they'd go, you have talent. And then you can kind of like bump along and have this amazing career. I don't think it happens anymore. Uh, And if it happens, it's sparing. 
because each project seems to be like you have to start over from you have to start over. So uh, I've tried various ways. In other words, I made my own movie. I made that three years ago uh, that I wrote, directed, starred, and I did one. You know, I was like, you know, everyone kind of does that, and I went through that whole process and got it. You know, I got it distributed and decent reviews. Uh, and then really nothing happened out of that either. So uh, I find that I mean, it can happen down the line. Well, I learned a lot yeah. and it's there and it's a part of kind of part of my legacy and it's, it exists, you know, on Amazon prime for probably longer than I'm going to live probably. Uh, but, uh, it's as far as a pivot is concerned. Yeah, I could, a lot of people pivot at my age into teaching full time or, um, uh, I don't know, uh, continue to write in direct. Um, and I am doing that to some extent, but it's extremely, I find it very frustrating. Uh, and because I need to still make money, like you can pivot as much as you want, but your pivot has to be involved with making some cash. And I'm trying to make my health insurance through my union. But you always, so that, like, we always do, like just the last. I always second, do. Yeah. <laughs> I, at the last second, I kind of get uh, they get the health insurance. Like, in, we got yeah. it. We're tier one. We're tier one. You can get your like perimenopausal medicine. We're tier one. Yeah, yeah. So now we can pay a lot for our quarter, our, my our quarterly minimums. You know, like I can even pay more money for that. But it's like it's always been about like trying to make my health insurance, and then I make that, and then I'll do everybody else's project where I don't make any money, you know? But I think you've also, to your detriment a little bit too, sabotage, if I can speak for you, where like you do do all that free theater or you have made some little mistakes, but then you're always like, actually, you know, like I need different representation or I'm going to make my own movie. Like we both studied with Jeffrey Tambor for a while. I don't say that to name drop. I just say that like, he was all about being your life. Like however you are in your life, you are on stage or in front of the camera. And it's like, if you have this resentment, like you send them flowers or it's like, just mix it up like the contrary action and move the molecules. So it's like, I got a lot out of Jeffries, but for me, it's like, I thought, I mean, I relate to what you're saying, Megan too, is like people think the characters in my plays are horrible. They're like, why would I want to watch them? But it's some people like it. Some people think I'm hilarious and other people are like, why the fuck would like, I think the guy at the Geffen was like, I just find them despicable, these characters, but acted well, they could be charming, but I just thought my plays would be done more, you know, or they, I, it would find, it would land somewhere. So I've had to pivot to be like, all right, I'm just doing stand up. Doors seem to be squeaking open there. Bitter Homes doors seem to be squeaking open and I just go where the love is. Yeah. And I had to say, if I can interject that she's an extremely good playwright and that's actually her, I think it's your sweet spot as a writer because you've, you know, from New York and you watch so much, you come from this theatrical background as far as uh, being raised in New York. And you're, you just need, you need a lot more room for the language that something that uh, film and TV doesn't provide you as well with. So she's got about five, six unproduced plays that we've done readings of. She's had one or she said two. We've had three three productions out here. Then they were very well received. And the thing about her writing is that in, on the page, it's like, oh, it's very dense. But when you see actors get into their mouths and they spit it out live, all this, it's, it, it lives in a, a different way when it, she does readings and live performances. Obviously, that's the best way. And it's hard for uh, a lot of producers or people or theater companies to see that. And it's, 
Uh, it, it's extremely competitive out here trying to get your plays up. I think it's even more competitive than but film. I, you yeah. know, the, but the pivot is, I appreciate that, Larry. But, you know, and the pivot's like, so I'm not hung up on the resentment. Like, I can get in that tape deck of, like, like my play should have been done in the big room. They put me in the small room where it was interactive and we all sat around in a circle. So I'm just trying not to, like, marinate in the resentments, keep writing and just, you know, hopefully they'll get done. I don't know. It's so, I think about this all the time. Like I really, I thought that it would be easier by now, like not easy, but I thought that like the idea was that you worked your ass off. And then at some point you just kind of were happy with what you have accomplished, which I'm not saying I'm not, but did, did, did you watch uh, hacks? Have you watched hacks? Yeah. Um, yes. I loved Smart. Hacks. Yeah. yeah. There's that amazing monologue it. where Gene Smart yells at the young the young upstart. And she said, like, it never gets easier. It just gets harder and harder and harder and harder. Like that's yeah. the dirty yeah. secret. That was a penetrating moment. Yes. I remember that. Yes. And I thought that was, well, I, I remember so though. It feels like this, this Sisyphean thing of like pushing the bull. Totally. I think also it's partly that everyone, like my rabbi does voiceovers. Like I think everyone thinks they're an artist. Like there's just a tsunami and a way too much of an influx of people thinking like so many people should actually just produce. Well, they, everyone has a podcast. So everybody has a podcast. Everyone has a podcast and everyone is sort of got embroiled in this narcissistic. I, my voice matters, but not everyone has something to say. Well, what I was from the very first and I've been naive and I about, and as far as the business is concerned is how competitive it is even when you're in on a show the competitiveness keeps increasing so most of the time when i've seen people so for example when i got on law and order i was like i went from catering one day and all of a sudden i was on the number one show on nbc i was in new york city i was on this show i shot 22 episodes uh i was like i'm living it you know and i remember one of the writers was trying to increase my role he liked me, this guy, Renee Balser, and he's one of the top writers for Law & So he started writing me more scenes. And so I'd get the script, right? And then I would get the script before I shot, and my scenes would be gone. <laughs> and I'd be like, what happened? What happened? And you know who was happened was that Jerry Orbach was like, no, I should be leading that investigation. I should have that line. <laughs> like, they didn't like that Lamont was starting to get some more power. And the pathos... Morris Lamont taking over Marcuson, Jerry Orbach. I love Jerry Orbach. Patha Markison literally was like, she even told me to her face, she goes, I cut that part where you began the episode and the investigation. I cut that. And I took those lines. She's like, why should I have that white boy detective uh, leading it? And, she, and I was like, what? And she goes, I don't even know why you're here. I want to get a Latina woman for your role. That's what she said to my face. And I was like, why don't you leave me alone, lady? I was like, I'm just uh, like, I was ahead of her time. Like, uh, like six months right, ago. I know. She was way ahead. I was like, like I, I, are you kidding me? Just like, leave me alone. You need to write apology and, notes to Dick Wolf and, and pay them Mark. Uh, I know. I'm going off on Law and Order today, but, uh, yeah. but there was another yeah, scene. Really going off. This was a season finale. I was supposed to take off running with Benjamin Bratt after it was this great action sequence. And then I saved Benjamin Bratt's life by there's a guy about to stab him. And I grab him. And he's like, thanks, Lamont, because I, I saved his life. And that was the, the cliffhanger until the next season. So I was like, this is great. And I get there and again. Jerry Orbach went in and said, why can't I be that guy? So they put Jerry in that role. And meanwhile, not knowing, everyone knew it, but they didn't want to say it to Jerry. Jerry was so old. He was much older than he appeared in the series. 
And the guy did couldn't even run. He could, literally could not run. He was in his 70s. And so I watched him. So they gave me, I was still on the scene, but I was like in the background. And I watched him and he's like, he was about ready to do the scene. And he goes, I haven't, I actually haven't ran in forever. Like I have to sprint. Like, so they do this <laughs> thing, they, they action. And you can see they just went like the camera went, like saw him go like this. And then they go right to Benjamin. And, and then it was all like fake. The fight was fake. And I'm like, dude, you're so old and you're still fighting for your part on this show and trying to kick the young guy out of the series. Like, when has it ever stopped? And the thing is, it never stops. Every show I've ever been on, that pettiness, that competitiveness has been on every single show I've been on. And this, like, it's like, well, the, it's like well, the safari the- out here with like the, the diminishing right. water and the safari and all the animals are coming together. And it was like, I'm going to get my last little drop of water. And that to me is show business. We'll give you the Tom Cruise heroic running sequence in Bitter Homes and Gardens season three. Okay. Flat Will that palms. make it up to you? We'll give you the fucking running man or like the Jack Reacher. Flat palms. Or you know, a cape. Yeah. So what do you tell aspiring actors now? Because I never know what to tell aspiring writers. I feel like it's there. It's like a different universe. I think, and this is what, again, what Jeffrey would say too. He's kind of our guru. I know he's had some issues, but he wasn't. He that makes guru, him even more guru worthy in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I would say, and we say this too, all the time to people just write like, and he would say this, like write, create, Always be working your own thing. Don't be annoying. I'm not talking about, you know, Instagram reels and Snapchat, but I mean, like actual stuff, like how you can discover your voice. Because all I have is my voice. It's just all, it's literally all I have, uh, you know. I was on, and I'm going to say another medium story that when I was playing that creepy cop, uh, I was on medium for a week shooting. And the two younger actresses I was working with, one was on the show and the other one was new. And um, her mother was asking me, she goes, we're, we're from Idaho and, and she's 17 and she goes, where, where should she study here? Where should Jennifer study? And, and I remember working with Jennifer and I'm like, this is a great 17 year old actress. I was like, don't, I said, don't bring her here. I said, have her go to university. I said, to have her get an education. Don't come to Hollywood at 17. And, you know, I said, there's nothing worse than having an, I said, we still have to make interesting choices as people and have an education, have a perspective and an opinion about the world. And then you can bring that into your work. Uh, she didn't listen to me, of course. She came right in. And then three years later, she booked. Uh, anyway, that mother's was Jennifer Lawrence's mother. And that was Jennifer Lawrence that I was doing the scene with in class. And Larry's trying to give her a little. Like, and I gave her the advice not to, not to come bits. to Hollywood. And they didn't listen to me. Right. And she you know, became a superstar three years later. So. But I, I also hell? think improv, I would say, take a UCB class. I mean, I just think everyone should take, because it's like not about making your idea amazing, but your partner's shitty idea great. And it like just teaches you how to collaborate. Because I think so many people are super talented and we've had, we've experienced this of like just really afflicted, tortured people who don't have that like group conscious, group conscience mind and who it's just me, 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 me. And it's, it just sucks the oxygen out of the room. I just don't want to work with those people. I tell new people and young people to study the craft and study writing. If you don't know how to write, start writing. Uh, start. You sound like an actor prepares. This is like well, morphing into true. an actor prepares. And I'm getting like. I learned, I learned how to write by doing two handers. You know, I watched two, you know, I started watching two people see. You write with two hands? Writing. 
Oh, sorry. Two hands? You're ambidextrous? It's called a two-hander. It's called a two-hander. I don't oh, know. I That's didn't what know they if that call. was... Okay. If it's sorry. a two-person scene, they say it's a two-hander. I don't know why. It's so, like, fine. True West True West is a two-hander? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Oh. Well, at least... Fool for Love? My Dinner with Andre? Yes, those are two. That's handers. a two seater. Mm, They're easy okay. to write. As a writer, <laughs> go, Megan. It's easy I'm to a write writer. It. I'm a writer. So, yeah, I can made a little joke. No, I'm just yeah, saying that it's she easier. Can, she can interject dialogue, like her dialogue with one, one person back and forth, but you put five people in a scene, of course, it's harder to write. So, I learned to write, you know, by starting with two handers and, and like kind of one acts. And then eventually, after I don't know, fifteen years, I started writing movies and screenplays, and and uh, but I learned that through literally showing up and doing it, uh, and and that's true about every aspect of um, of movie making and and uh, filmmaking uh, that you you know I, I would always be on set and learning. I, I always was fascinated by the medium. And, uh, and giving the director notes. Well, yes, he, he at would times. Give, walk up to the director and be like, I, can I give you a blocking note? And then he'd come and be like, and they took the note. The Grey's Anatomy director took the note. He reblocked the scene. If it's a good note, they usually will take it. If it's a good note. Yeah, but not Scott Ellis. Hey, easy. This is people, okay? Let's not yeah. name people. Look, you I, need, I, need, I, need, I need people to join my Patreon, and now Dick Wolf definitely never will. So don't, ever, don't drop ever, any more. Na- don't diss yeah. any more moneyed people. What about social media? How do you handle that? Are you constantly making little TikToks and... What we not? just started no. for this. We got a PR person for this new streaming uh, oh. season. We have and, a social media. Yeah, you manager. have very good little uh, whatever those are oh, called. Oh, thank you. Little that means assets. a lot. That actually assets. Thank you. Our little arsenal, our treasure trove of our like you know acerbic vituperative. But somebody, I, I, I'm always somebody does that for you because it's that yeah. is a tyranny. I mean, I have it somebody is. who it's helps me, but it's, it's so yeah. hard. It, it bleeds me and robs me in my soul. I mean, I try to even do Screen Free Sunday. We're all going to put our phones on Screen Free Sunday. I don't, I'm not proud of myself when I say that, but it's like, I, it's unlivable. Like, I can't, I hate it. I hate it. It's a necessity. I'm a comedian. But I also know that, like, when we go out sometimes, I will literally leave my phone at home. And he'll be like, we have a child. You can't do that. And, like, I can't, like, holding it feels like it's putting this, like, pernicious toxins into my bloodstream. And, like I think about someone like Janine Garofalo, who's like never been on social media. Are there people who are like not on social media? Well, you and know I what's interesting I, is that you can't have a career now without some kind of a presence. Right. And That's not exactly what is Janine Garofalo doing. True. I love her. Just, I don't think she uses it. I don't think she's ever used it. I mean, I, you, I don't know too much. I just know she that works you have a lot. to have. Listen, she's old school. She's from the nineties. She got cast in the nineties. No, but it's also she's a particular sort of sui generis person. I, she works. I think. No, she's no, she doesn't. No, I'm sorry. What? You, you, oh my God, Larry, we're making enemies with this podcast. I wanted no, to write something for her, actually. I had a whole, I had a, I really? had an idea. I'm not remembering what it was, but I remember I was really fired up about some idea I had, and she was the person I had in mind. And wow. then, Well, I would love uh, to do your writings. I think that would be a superstar pairing. I would love to do one of your rants. You and Janine Garofalo. One of your rants. You could write a rant for... Uh, I don't know how many rants you write for an angry guy. I don't know. Give me a rant. I would love to perform it because but I think you're Megan and Janine. Are you talking? Who are I you talking to? Really? I'm talking to you. Are you talking? Megan. Oh, you're talking to me. Yes. 
How do you know I do? Oh, yeah, he's not that supportive of me. He's talking to you. How do I know? Because I, I read your stuff. I'm like, oh, this okay. is I mean, right. the, it's just so. You want to turn one of my old LA Times op-ed columns into a monologue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll do that. Yeah. And I'll perform it for you. How's that? Yeah. And he'll put it up at the Lillian in a three-week engagement. <laughs> I'll, tour, I'll tour the country. Yes. Uh, so, but, no, the um, – okay, so you're not always – because this is the other thing is uh, I can't – yeah, I mean, getting back to this, I, I can't handle the, the social media. But are people casting, like, influencers? Is that are – you, are you now having to compete with so, – yes. so instead of – Plucking somebody yes. out of a play that they see, they're seeing them on Instagram. Exactly. There's a guy that, exactly. there's a producer who reached out to me and goes, Larry, can you help me out here? He goes, I've got a kid. He's good looking. He's putting his naked, he's working out and putting his stuff, his 30 second workouts with his naked body, his, uh, his stomach, his ab workout on TikTok, right? And he's Ew. got a quarter million, quarter million followers in Florida. Right. This guy, he goes, Larry, I really want to help him um, transition out to Hollywood. Can you talk to him? And I went, what are you asking me? It's the worst story. I've what ever would you heard. say? What so would you depressing. say to that person? I said, I said my so de- depressing. He, it was such a producer, typical producer thing. And I was like, dude, I, I, does he want to be an actor? I don't know what to say. Does he know how to act or he just want to be famous for his stomach? Before we start to wind things down, here's one more clip from Bitter Homes and Gardens featuring our old roommate, Stephanie Courtney. What do you think that we should be married? What is she, a soothsayer and a prophet? Exactly. Do you think I should get a boob job? Yes. Can I just tell you why I haven't? And I know that I need to. And I know We're all wondering why you haven't. Why? Because I don't want my husband to enjoy it. I want to do it, but I don't want him to enjoy it. Fielding, that's power. I hope you're feeling good right now. Because I am. that's power. And I'm really proud of you. Because here's the thing. If I leave him and I go bang some divorcee graphic designer in his early 50s named Barney, who actually likes a supple rack that's lifted, and guess what? His two teenage daughters who are on heroin, I, that could be a relationship that I can give to. Good. You're going to want to get a breast job because breast job? after we get divorced, Larry. You, you'll get some action. God, You know what? That's exactly what my mother did. Do you shoot it in your actual house? We do. Yes. We're not proud of that. The, the do you have to like, move didn't. stuff around all the time? Is it stressful? Yes. Um, not, it was a not stressful suggested. week. Uh, believe me, the top of the thank yous was the family who just took our daughter for the week. So that actually made it really fun. Like her bedroom was our green room. But it was, actually, some things I'm like, you know what? I like the room better this way. I like that couch there. And, yeah, they rearrange. You know, they they fuck up your floors. Uh, it's it, you know you piss off your neighbors. It's it's like it's hard to do, but you save a lot of money. Is, how big is the crew? Like, are you how, are you like doing this yourself? So that so like this it's is true. a huge endeavor to be like PP. Do you have a GoFundMe or something? Thank how you. are you how are you managing this? You don't have to um, answer that. I'm uh, no, no, I think money is, I think it's important to talk about money. Yes. Yeah, I We sat um, on a shoestring. I have some family money that I used. And it's okay. like, you know That's very honest. We yeah. didn't take a no, vacation. I, we didn't take a vacation this year and we were like, let's 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 put it towards the web series. So we you know, I haven't been away in quite a long time. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I also felt like this was something that is like we really do believe it and see it through. We'll see what happens. But it's like, I, this was like well spent 
money. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, it's, but, it's very, it's very funny. There's just, there's something, uh, it's, there's, yeah, kind of but like we definitely, that. the crew definitely grew. I mean, certain, I always was trying to like, do we need a costume person? And Larry's like, I'm just wearing a black t-shirt because I have to cover up the fat. I don't need a fucking costume lady. So certain things we didn't have, you know, I don't, I think I did my own hair and makeup, which shows, but it was yeah, the pandemic. We paid our, we, we paid our guest stars a hundred dollars a day because we had to. We literally um, gave Dave Kector like a hundred dollars and a Tommy Bahama shirt. And we were like, thank you so much. But yeah, this was bare bones shooting. This is called a run and gun. We were shooting 11 pages a day for five days. So, I mean, this is, this is a low budget. It, it, what really gets you in the money though is post because you have to do all the freaking mixing and editing and that costs money. That actually is more money than everything. And especially when you have our director is wonderful, but very particular in how he sees so he, everyone he, thinks like, their you job can't is just, the most You can't just do that on your phone. Is that what you're saying? I wish. Editing? I Holy can't do shit. that on an iPhone. Yeah. Everybody thinks, no, I'm joking because everybody thinks... Oh yeah. Oh, Everything. Yeah. So even with this podcast, like I've had set up interviews and uh, it's like, Oh, I can't do this on my, on my phone. Like, I know, I know the no. phone should do everything. It's like, <laughs> no, Kaiser movie making, in my phone. Yeah. Half a movie making technical. If you don't capture the sound, it's, you don't have anything. If no, you don't really get hard the picture, too. you don't have yeah. anything. So oh my God, it's we had to do perfect. an ADR. We did an ADR session in the Valley. It was like this formalized thing where I have to do like sex sounds in this ADR <laughs> sound for my husband. Like, and I'm so. horrified. Right, I'm right. And it's all just like, ugh. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, horrifying, horrifying. Well, we appreciate, listen, Megan, I, 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 next time I'm in New York, I'm going to say hello to you. Oh, I'm going to come back out there. No, I'll see you out there. I, All can right. we well, we want to have you over. And, maybe, and we'll it's been hold too long. Flow, I know, it's been guys, too long. We'd love to have you for dinner or throw I mean, a dinner party for you. And, and, I would and love invite Janine Garofalo and say this should be a pairing, a celestial pairing. And actually, and if you're in New York, we should uh, we should meet up on uh, 100th Street. It is now a fancy, I believe it's a co-op now. I actually walked by it. I walked by it uh, earlier this year, and it's super nice compared to how it used to be. Yeah. I miss it. I miss those days. I really do miss those days. Well, look, I do too. Because, and I'm so glad. Here, I, this is the other thing, and I feel like you might appreciate this. I hate getting old. It's very traumatic. There's a lot to it, but I thank God that I grew up in the eras that I did, and that I was a young person in the '90s. And not now. So it is like, actually, every time I get upset about being old, I think I'm going to try to remind myself of that because I feel the exact same that I breathe such a sigh of relief that I came up without all that Michigas and I got to the Saint and Nels. My parents didn't give a shit where I was just running around and like, you know. My Betsy Johnson. No, it, it's it's like we have a shit. superpower. It's yeah. like, it's honestly yeah. like we have, it's like a, it feels like a physical attribute like a, a genetic advantage or something a hundred like yeah it's like i feel like it's endemic to my soul it's like that's i was i raised i raised myself and i'm proud of we were tough we were fucking tough we're still tough uh, and i'd like to thank you for having us on yes yeah. your 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 video podcast where well, you yeah, this it. is new because you know my youtube channel has like a hundred subscribers so this <laughs> it's is gonna mushroom in a matter of seconds after because well, i only because I, I put it up and then i did nothing on it but no we're gonna we're gonna convert this is gonna be good because we're gonna convert this into the regular podcast as well but i'm gonna try to um you know get a multimedia it up 
Um, well, this, well, this was I, a we real appreciate honor. This is an honor for me. Time. I'm talking. I'm honored. <laughs> I'm, I'm honored. honored. We're honored. You I'm honored. honored. That was my conversation with Larry Clark and Fielding Edlow. They are actors, writers, and producers, and the creators of the YouTube series Bitter Homes and Gardens, which is currently in its second season. I should add that Fielding's debut special, Can't Say Slut, is now streaming on Amazon Prime. A video version of this interview, the one that you've just heard, is available on this podcast's YouTube channel, The Unspeakable Channel. You can watch the entire thing there. Most of the videos on that channel, at least for now, are available in partial form. And then you subscribe to the show's Patreon at patreon.com slash the unspeakable if you want to see the whole thing. Uh, but this one is available to everyone uh, for free. Always trying new stuff around here. Joining the Patreon also gets you lots of other perks, including if you join at the mid-tier level or higher, access to regular listener hangouts on Zoom. We've been getting together every other week or so to discuss specific episodes of the podcast, and it's uh, really fun and um, a really smart, great group of people. That's it for now. I'll be back next week with another super nuanced guest. Until then, thanks for listening. See you next time. Hi, I'm Frank. I don't like change. And I just saw a billboard for this new BJ's Wholesale Club talking about up to 25% off grocery store prices. Oh, really? What's wrong with paying full price, huh? No, sir. I would not join BJ's Wholesale Club. Let's agree to disagree, Frank. Say you do want to sign up now to get a $40 BJ's digital gift card. Join the new BJ's Wholesale Club, opening soon in Ross Township. Visit bjs.com slash Ross Township or the BJ's Membership Center at the Block Northway. Offer valid for a limited time. Addiction is a disease that impacts all of us. Whether you, your neighbor, friend, or family member is struggling, everyone feels the pain of addiction. Recovery Centers of America, Monroeville, wants you to know that addiction treatment works and recovery is possible. Call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW for help for yourself or a loved one. Recovery Centers of America have helped thousands of patients across the United States and here in Western Pennsylvania start a better, healthier way of life through their evidence-based inpatient and outpatient treatment programs. The caring team of physicians and clinicians at Recovery Centers of America see their patients as so much more than their addiction and are deeply committed to providing expert care with heart. Recovery Centers of America knows that every day in active addiction is a day in isolation, which is why they admit new patients 24-7 year-round. Don't wait. Make the call that can change everything. Call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW.